So we're in our series this summer in the Psalms, and I want to let you know this message this morning, I believe, is going to lead to a call for you to encounter God in renewal at the end of the service. So I'm just letting you know what I sense may happen. And uh, you can turn in your Bibles to Psalm 46. That's where we're going to jump in today. We've been in this series for a while now, and I'll give you the other passages we're going to look at, Isaiah chapter 41, John chapter 7, there may be others. But Isaiah, uh, Psalm 46, sorry, it is a call to personal renewal. And I love this psalm. I've got it so marked up in my Bible, I can hardly read it anymore. It's powerful in its invitation. And we are a people who need renewal, right? We need to be continuously renewed as we walk with God. And there are rhythms in our lives that God is putting together for us that will restore us and refresh us and rebuild us. And actually, your personal renewal is just waiting for you. It's just waiting for you to step into it, and it's all found in the living presence of God. So I want to read the passage for us from Psalm 46. I'm reading out of the New King James Version, and I believe the words will be up on the screen. Here they are. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Even though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling, there's a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. The nations raged, the kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice, the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come behold the works of the Lord who has made desolations in the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. Note this verse. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our defense. I want to let you know something that I believe this psalm is inviting you and I into an encounter with God that will lead to renewal in our lives. It's a profound little psalm. It doesn't fit into the category of any other psalms. It's not a lament psalm. It's not a royal psalm or a wisdom psalm or a thanksgiving psalm. It's not really a praise psalm, but it touches on that. I think it's in its own category. And so I've, I've labeled it. I call it a declarative psalm because it's, it's full of words and language that are bold. It's proclaiming something in these little words here, in these few verses that are important for us in our lives. And so if you and I want to walk in renewal, we're going to need to do some proclaiming and some declaring. We've got to declare truths over our lives and promises from God over our lives and the word of God over our lives. And when we do that, God activates things and he shows his will to us, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And it's really how Jesus lived, proclaiming. It's how the early church lived and it's how we should also move forward as the people of God. So the setting of Psalm 46, you might know a few things about it. It's, it's sort of pieced together historically that likely this was in the setting 
of around 722 BC after the Assyrian Empire had invaded the northern parts of Israel. That's the theory. And it was a high-stress time, a lot of chaos going on in the city of Jerusalem. They were receiving ridiculous threats from the Assyrian king and his army. And the king's name, the Assyrian king, his name was Sennacherib. And people were all fearful of Sennacherib's war machine. That was a very intimidating force on the earth at the time. They were vying for ultimate political and military control. And, uh, and they had already conquered the northern part of Israel. And now they're moving down south towards Judah and Jerusalem. And the threat is there for the people of God. That's the setting, we believe, of Psalm 46. Now, Sennacherib is a scary-looking dude. I saw a statue of him in Istanbul, Turkey, eight years ago when we were there for assembly. He still looks fierce to me. And uh, the Assyrian army was, was powerful, and they terrorized the people that they were invading. They didn't just conquer you. They crushed you. And so they used a lot of fear tactics to unnerve the people. They'd set their sights on Jerusalem and... The idea is that they're heading down there to take over Judah and wreak havoc on God's people. And in that setting, we have the words of Psalm 46. And it's a call to people of faith to experience renewal and rest in the midst of the hardest chapter of their lives. While all this stuff is happening all around them, a lot of noise, a lot of confusion, uh, a, a lot of intimidating circumstances. God is speaking to his people and he's inviting them into a moment of renewal. So what does that invitation look like? Let me mention three things. There's a refuge, there's a river, and then one more thing, there's a rest. The psalm begins by talking about a place that we can go when life gets hard. It says, God is our refuge and strength a very present help in trouble, therefore we will not fear. Therefore we're not going to be afraid. And it's something that you declare out loud about your life and about your future. Therefore I will not fear. And I want you just to turn to your neighbor beside you and just declare to them, we will not fear. Just go ahead and say it, even if you don't know them. We will not fear. Right? We don't let fear live in the church. We get rid of fear in the church. Fear has no place for kingdom people. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. Therefore, I'm not going to fear anything. We will not fear things like the earth being thrown into the heart of the sea, or mountains crumbling, or tsunami waves washing in on coastal communities, stripping off some of the mountain ranges. I'm, the image in my mind is what happened 14 years ago on Boxing Day when that tsunami wave went over the Asian basin and over a quarter million people were wiped out. The psalm writer is saying, it doesn't matter what's going on all around us in this world. It doesn't matter how much chaos there is. We, the people of God, we will not fear. We will not fear. Why? Because there's a refuge. There's a refuge. It's not the United Nations. It's God himself. And the word refuge, some translations put it this way, it's a high tower. 
it's a thing you run into that God gives you, a place above the circumstances so that you're safe from all of the enemy activity on the ground. Nothing can harm you in the refuge. And the idea is you can literally run into the presence of God. That's really what the psalm is saying. Run into the presence of God. Just end up there. Don't settle for anything less. And when you do, fear will leave your life. We're going to need this kind of help when we think about all the things that are coming our way in life. There's going to be challenges, right, ahead? There's going to be challenges for us as people and challenges for our families and challenges for our church. We're going to need how to handle them. We might not be facing an Assyrian king and a military takeover, but you might face something like this. The end of an era for your family. Bad news from a counselor. The diagnosis of a life-threatening disease. A dark night of the soul. The end of a relationship that was once beautiful. You see, at some point in our lives, we're going to find ourselves with a lot of chaos and a lot of circumstances around us that are not good. And we're going to make a decision at that point. Will we give in to fear or not? Will we get completely overwhelmed? Will we stand there shaking and saying, Lord, I'm, I'm going down? I think there's moments in life when you feel like the bottom is about to fall out of your life, right? You're just, everything that you've counted on seems to be collapsing right underneath you. And you're going down. That's what it feels like. When I was 14 years of age in the summer... I got together with some of my buddies, and uh, we biked over to an old grain elevator. We grew up in a small town on a lake in Manitoba, and we didn't want to swim every day, so we wanted to do something different during the summer, and we said, it's time for us as boys to conquer the grain elevator. So we got together, our little posse, we went down there, and we, we got into the place, and this was a condemned old shutdown grain elevator, very tall. I've seen lots of them, because I go to Manitoba every summer, and you, you can see them sometimes from the highway. Ours was the tallest in the world, so it seemed. And we said, we're going to get in that grain elevator. We know we're not supposed to be in there, but we're going to go in there, and we're going to climb to the top. So we did. The door opened to us with a little help. <laughs> and we went in, and we climbed up that dark elevator shaft, right? In the darkness, there's just this sort of ladder with rung after rung after rung, and we're climbing up. Felt like, you know, thousands of feet straight up. Really, it did. This old, dusty, smelly grain elevator. And finally, we all get to the top floor, the lookout. So there's six boys up there, and we're looking out the windows. We're going, we are the kings of the world right now. We're on top of everything. So we enjoyed it up there for a while, and and we were boasting about our accomplishment. And then we thought, we better go back down. And so one of our friends, Donnie, his name was, he said, hey, I know how we can get down really fast. He said, there's an elevator shaft here. Let's go down the elevator. We thought, sounds good. So there's this black piece of wood there on the floor, and it's four by four. And we all stood on there. And we said, how does the elevator work, Donnie? He says, I don't know. But then he saw a lever on the wall. And he says, I think this is the lever. So he pulls it down. And the old horsehair rope around it snapped. It went, and we went right down the elevator shaft, straight down, screaming in the dark. Two seconds later, we smack the ground, and there's bodies and limbs and legs everywhere. None of us were badly hurt, just a little bit hurt, if you know what I mean. I remember the sensation, though, of suddenly the floor let go. You ever feel like that? 
You're just like, God, I'm going down. I'm going down. I'm going down now. Do you know that I'm going down? He's like, yeah, I know you think that. I'm really going down. I know that you feel like you're going down. It's at those moments we have a choice to make. Will we go to God and say no to fear? And will we allow him to do that work of refreshing and renewal in our lives? That only happens when we feel like we're going down. God wants to meet us right there. If we let fear take over our lives, we are going to hit the bottom. We're not going to avail ourselves of the promises of God and the power of his word and the security of his presence. Fear is near and ready to sweep into your life if you will allow it. It's so prevalent that fear is, is around us. Remember what the Bible says? Number one command is what? Do not fear. It really is. Do not fear. God says it all over the place. Old Testament, New Testament. I, I want you to know as my people, he's saying, don't fear. Don't fear anything. Well, the good kind of fear is you fear God, but we're talking about the bad kind of fear here. Don't fear, God is saying. Do not give in to fear. Fear came into the human family because of the breakdown of our first parents' relationship with God. They, they sinned in the garden. They ate the tree from the knowledge of good and evil. Their eyes were opened. They were naked, ashamed, and afraid, and so they hid because of fear from God. He had to go looking for them. And God wants us to deal with fear. It's nasty. In Isaiah chapter 41, we have some words there about it. Let me just get us there. Isaiah chapter 41 at verse 10. This is what God says to his people. Fear not, for I am with you. That should be enough, right? Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I'll help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Then down to verse 13. For I, the Lord your God, will hold your right hand, saying to you, fear not, I will help you. God is saying, I'm committed to that. I will take you by the hand. I will walk you through the scariest experience of your life. You've got to know this. I am a refuge, he's saying. I am your security. I am your safety. Come into my presence, he's saying. Don't let fear control your life. 2 Timothy 1.7 in the New Testament says this, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of love, power, and self-control. Fear has no place in the life of kingdom people. Yeah, but I sometimes, I know. But we don't have to give in to it. We must renounce it and move out of it. It will keep us from continuous renewal. And so what I do is really what I think Psalm 46 is instructing us to do. I proclaim over my life what I'm supposed to do as I walk with God. And I'll say to myself at times, Sandy, don't fear. Don't fear. Do not fear. I'll preach to myself. Stop fearing. Okay. No, listen to me, I say. Stop fearing. Fear ends right now. Go, yeah, okay. You should try it sometime. It really works. Preach at yourself. That's what Psalm 46 is doing. It's preaching to the people of God. It's saying, take this into your heart as a psalm, as a song that you repeat again and again and again and again. Do not fear. The Lord is your refuge. I think that people in this world 
many, many, many of them are on the verge of collapsing. People that we think are strong and sturdy and, and, uh, and, and ready for anything, we find after a while they've got cracks in their lives. They can't handle things. And I'm sure you were as sort of stunned as I was six weeks ago when we got the news that two cultural leaders had taken their lives by suicide. Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain. Kate Spade, a leader in the fashion industry, great designer, making beautiful clothes. Anthony Bourdain, the area of food and culture. These people were setting cultural trends. They had reached the top, the pinnacle of life, and no doubt were wealthy, and they had a lot of respect, and people enjoyed what they did, and they took their lives, one on June 4th and one on June 8th. Why does that happen? It's a great loss to our world when people like that end their lives. Is it possible that people who look so together on the outside could maybe be about to crumble on the inside? I think so. And I think that they were going down and they said, there's no one there to catch me. There's no one to stop this. They lost hope. And so they committed suicide. I've been doing just a little bit of research into suicide lately and I need to do more. But what we're hearing from people in different places is that it's going to increase because there's so much despair in the world. And in this case, middle-aged people are starting to commit suicide, more so. They're just saying, you know what, I've lived to be 40, 45 years of age. I, I, I can't do this anymore. I, I've, I've got to put an end to the stress that I'm under. And they've taken their lives. And I want to say to any one of you who are here today, if you're feeling like you're at the end of yourself, I want to say to you, there is hope for you. God wants to come and set up a home inside of your life. He wants to change you. He wants to take that pressure off of you, off your mind and your emotions. He wants to lift that paranoia, that worry, that fear, that dread, whatever it is. He wants to set you free if you'll trust him. Jesus came to set captives free. We know that he does that. And I just encourage you to lean into him today. Let him lift that heavy burden off of your life. Let him take you to a new place and a new, new relationship with him and a new beginning. He came for you. Renewal only happens when we deal with fear by running into the presence of God. And when we talk about the presence of God here, we're really talking about the manifest presence of God. When he reveals himself in special moments, it's different than the omnipresence of God. God is everywhere by his spirit. We're glad for that too. And we draw strength from that. It gives us a sense of peace and security, knowing that wherever we go, God's already there. And yet we also need to encounter him in his manifest presence. That's what this psalm is teaching. So if you need safety today, if you need divine protection today, if you need supernatural security today, there is a security detail available to you. There's a place you can go where it's peaceful and calm. It's called the refuge. It's the presence of God. Just run right in there by faith and say, God, I'm going to sit in your presence today. I'm just going to dwell in you. I'm just going to let go of all my fears and all my concerns and worries because you are in control of my situation. So there's a refuge, but there's also a river. Look at verse 4. There is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of of God. There's a river of renewal. And often in the Bible, you'll see images like 
water and rain and, and lakes and streams and rivers used to express metaphorically uh, the renewing touch of God's presence. It's in both Old and New Testaments. And God really wants us to, to understand that there is a river that we can be refreshed at. It's the river of his presence by his Holy Spirit. And it brings renewal, real renewal, to people, to families, to marriages, to churches, to international workers, to people involved in the work of the kingdom. It brings real renewal. We need that on an ongoing basis. And it's a continuous kind of renewal. We have a saying around here that we are all about continuous increasing renewal that leads to revival that never ends. We don't want just a couple of years of amazing encounters with God. We want a lifetime of encounters with God. By the way, there's no river in Jerusalem. I don't know if you know that. There's no river there, but there is a little stream. It's called the Shaloah Stream. I think that's how you say it. Shaloah. Some of you should Google that. Find out, tell me what it means. What does Shaloah mean? Sounds really nice. There's this Shaloah Stream. And uh, it flows from the Gihon stream, which is on the east side of the city. And it's like God in his sovereignty has planned metaphorically. I'm going to show you guys that, you know, there is a stream always flowing in the center of my people. That's what he's saying. All the time. There's renewal going on all the time in the midst of the people of God. God goes out of his way in his word to make this clear to us. You can look later on at Ezekiel chapter 47 when it talks about the river of God flowing from the throne room of heaven out to people to renew and refresh them. It gives a marvelous description of that river there. Wherever it goes, it brings life. And you can get into that river. You can go in up to your ankles. You can go up to your knees. You can go up to your hips. You can go all in and you can swim in that river. That's what Ezekiel ends up doing. And it's a prophetic message to the people of God, reminding us that God has always provided renewal for us. He wants us to be refreshed. He wants us to encounter his presence by his mighty, powerful Holy Spirit. Jesus spoke about this in John chapter 7 over in the New Testament. On the, uh, the day of the Feast of Tabernacles, it says in verse 37, on that last day, uh, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, if anyone is thirsty... Let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And you think, what is he talking about? John puts it this way. This he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those who believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Question, has Jesus been glorified? Has the Spirit been given? Absolutely. In Acts 2, we have the fulfillment of Joel chapter 2. God says, in the last days, I will pour out. There's the imagery again. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. We're living in these days when it's possible now for human beings to encounter the living presence of God through his spirit who will come and live inside of them and make a home in them. It's incredible. And when this renewal starts happening in your life, when the presence of God starts flowing inside of you, it says that it will make you glad. It'll make you happy. It'll make you joyful. I think this should be one of the markers of the people of God, that they're happy, they're joyful, they've got things to celebrate. Yeah, they have problems. 
Who doesn't? I've got problems. Do you have problems? I have problems. I got to go to God about my problems every single day. And he's like, yeah, they seem big to you. Not to me. I'm like, we'll do something. You say, yeah, we're working on it. Just trust me, right? Just trust me. We need continuous renewal. The Spirit of God deals with my dryness, and I do get dry at times. The Spirit of God deals with my despair when I think, oh, no, it's all up to me. And God's like, it was never up all to you. The Spirit of God refreshes me when I'm, when I'm feeling really low. The Spirit of God picks me up when I'm, when I'm despondent. This happens to me on a regular basis. I don't know about you, but I have to stay in continuous renewal every day of my life, every week of my life. I got to make choices about that, and they're real, and I got to just keep leaning into this. And as soon as I don't, woof, I drift back. I'm like, oh God, where are you? He's like, I'm here. Stay in step with me. I'm like, okay, oh, it's better over here. Continuous renewal. Kingdom City, we have tasted of this, haven't we, in the last four or five years, God has poured out his presence in unbelievable ways. And we're like, oh God, prepare us for more. Prepare us for more. So that there will be generations of children saved that will walk with you. And generations of youth will be bold warriors. And generations of young adults that will go everywhere for the name of Jesus because they're sent out. And they're like, just let me go, Lord. Let me preach to the nations. We're asking for greater outpourings. And I'm asking you now in this season of rest here this summer, pray for God's hand on our fall. We have a sense as as staff and leaders that God is preparing us for a monumental moment this fall. A monumental outpouring of his spirit right here. We'll be calling you to fasting and prayer later on in the fall as we open up our hearts to everything God wants to do here. There is a refuge and then there is a river. And finally... There is a rest. There's a rest for the people of God. Take a look at verses 7 to 9 for a moment here. It says, The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come behold the works of the Lord, who has made desolations in the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. And the imagery is of a battlefield with broken equipment. God has won the battle, and he's saying to his people, gather up the the leftovers and use it for fuel for fire. It's a victorious statement. And then we have this unusual little quote here that shows up in verse 7 and verse 11. Let me read from verse 7. The Lord of hosts is with us, literally the Lord of the armies. In other words, God has armies too. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Question, why would it say God of Jacob? Why not God of Moses? Why not God of Joseph? Why not God of Abraham? What's the deal on Jacob? I think it's because God is saying in this psalm something very unique and strategic that discerning people can lay hold of. I think it's an invitation When it's talking about the God of Jacob being with us, we have to ask the question, how was Jacob able to encounter God? He's in the Bible. So what do we know? We know this in Genesis chapter 25. 
He encounters God at a place called Bethel. He builds an altar there, and he receives a major, major personal encounter with God. Genesis chapter 28, he sleeps at night on a head on a rock. He has a dream. He sees heaven opened up and the angels of God ascending, going up, and coming back down. And he wakes up and he says, surely God is in this place and I didn't even know it. Powerful encounter with God. Then in Genesis chapter 32, Jacob wrestles with the angel of the Lord, or the Lord, it's really hard to tell who he's wrestling with, but he's wrestling with God and he says, I've seen God face to face and he gets blessed by God. He gets blessed by him. And he's a changed man because his name meant supplanter or deceiver or manipulator. And in that moment, God renames his servant. And he says, you will be called Israel because you are a prince with men and with me. Jacob had these profound personal encounters with God. So when I read this in Psalm 46, the God of Jacob is our refuge. I think it's saying to, 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 to the people of God, I think it's saying to us, do you want a personal encounter with God? Do you want to meet God like Jacob did? He can show up anytime in your life. He can absolutely appear right here in this room. He can appear in your bedroom. He can be with you at work. He can show up in your car when you're driving. Do you want a personal encounter with the God of Jacob? He's able to reveal himself to you, no matter what you're facing. And that will lead you into a season of rest. And so it says in verse 10, take a look at this. Be still and know that I'm God. Be still. And in your stillness, know that I'm God. Now, some people think that this is a verse for worship pastors, and they should plan in the worship service a time of silence in every service. I'm not saying that's not a good thing to do. There may be moments the Spirit leads us to do that, and we should do that when the Spirit's prompting that. But that's not what that verse means. That's not the context at all. The context is the nations are going crazy around us. There's wars and rumors of wars. In the midst of that, God is saying to his people, be still and know that I'm God. Literally, in the original language, Rafa yada Elohim. Be still. And it means let go. Slacken your hands. That's what it actually means in the Hebrew. Slacken your hands. Stop clutching onto things and holding on. Let, let it go. Let it go. Be still. And know, yada, experiential relational knowledge. Know that I am God Elohim. Those moments in my life that are the hardest often for me become the best moments for me because they drive me to the refuge. They get me to the river and they remind me that there's a rest. There's a rest for us. I don't want to miss it. And when you have that rest, you can step into peace. Jesus was sleeping in the midst of a storm in the back of a boat one day, and as he's sleeping, his disciples are worried. They thought they're going to drown. They're thinking, how can he sleep when we're in this storm? And he wakes up, and he just rebukes the wind and the waves, and he kind of looks at his disciples like, can't you deal that, with that stuff? Speak peace over your circumstances. He said in Matthew 10, sending out his disciples, when you enter into a house, let your peace rest on it. And if it will not receive it, let it come back to you. In other words, don't waste your peace. 
So you have peace that you can actually impart when you're resting in God. There is a rest for the people of God. There's a rest from our own works. There's a rest from striving. There's a letting go. There's a letting down. There's a, there's a cheerful posture of abandonment in God that's beautiful. And when we're there, the Lord is saying, now I give you my peace. Now my peace comes upon you. My peace that passes all understanding. You've got to stop striving. Rest in me, he's saying. And you'll see that I am the God who is in full control of everything going on in this world. Rest in me. Be renewed in my presence. Friends, all of this is possible because of what Jesus did for us. He stepped into the chaos of broken humanity in this world and embraced with his own sinless, perfect, pure life, all of the sorrow and sickness and sadness, he absorbed it all so that he could do away with it. And by the sacrifice of his life, he offers us himself as a refuge. He offers us the presence of God as a river flowing our way, and he offers us rest. So I've been asking myself here, how, how do we end a service like this? How are we going to respond to this? And I don't know what's on your heart today, how you feel maybe God wants to invite you into something, but I just sense that some of us, guess what? God's interrupting our day right now. In fact, verse 10, when it says, be still and know that I'm God, if you look at it, it's like God interrupts the psalm. It's like, it's like a song that's being sung here and all of a sudden God speaks and says, hey, it's not the worship team anymore, it's me. God interrupts his people at times. He says, hey, be still and know that I'm God. I'm in control. Have my peace. You're going to need it and I want to give it to you. But you must receive it. So you've got to come to the refuge. You've got to drink at the river. And you've got to say no to fear got to get it out of your life so that the peace of God, the rest of God, the shalom of God will fill your heart and mind and your soul. Yeah. So I'm just going to invite our worship team to lead us in this song here. And uh, we're not going to do long, but I, I just sense we're supposed to sing it again. Spirit of the living God fall fresh on me. And when you're ready, when your heart's saying to you, it's time for you to step into renewal, I'm calling you to renewal, I want you to stand, but only then. Only then, just process. So Joel, if you could lead us.